Welcome to Food for Thought Radio, an online community dedicated to fostering strength in the female running world. From high school and collegiate athletes to professional runners and recreational runners, we encourage all body types, shapes and sizes, proving that you don't have to fit any one size mould to be a distance runner. Now, let's get to the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. This is Greer here and I'm thrilled to welcome Rachel Style, an all-American cross-country runner who now advocates for eating disorder awareness at the high school and college level. Following her college career, Rachel decided to blog about her own journey in the hopes that it might speak to others running in silence. In today's episode, we will be discussing how coaches can address disordered eating with their athletes. Welcome, Rachel. Hi everyone, my name is Rachel Style. I am the author of Running in Silence, and I was an All-American runner for Aquinas College where I battled an eating disorder, and that's all detailed in my book. But I'm also a high school cross-country coach, and because of my experiences with an eating disorder, I've begun to realize what an important topic this is to talk about with our own athletes. Athletes are two to three times more likely to develop an eating disorder than the general population, yet there's no requirement to talk about this stuff. So what better time than now to be talking about Thanks so much for joining us today, Rachel. So since stepping into the coaching world, what was the first thing you noticed about the stigma behind collegiate eating disorders? I began to see that if I didn't first bring up the topic and if I first didn't talk about it, the athletes weren't just going to come running to me to tell their stories or what they're dealing with. Most of the time they feel very embarrassed or ashamed or fearful or they're in denial that it's even bad enough to try to get help. So I think as coaches, realizing that this is a very, very prevalent issue and knowing that if we talk about it each year, we're helping other runners to speak up about it is a great thing to know as a coach in our position of responsibility and great influence. To give you an idea, if we're just looking at running and we're looking at a race of let's say 200 runners, about 38 of those runners statistically would be battling an eating disorder or some type of disordered eating. So that's about one in five runners or 19%, which is way higher than I would have ever expected. I know even when I was dealing with my eating disorder, I didn't realize how common it was and I would have thought maybe just a few runners in a race of 200 would be battling something like this and maybe it was the thinnest runner. It's something we need to change about our perception of eating disorders because eating disorders do not go based on size. They do not go based on appearance. So you mentioned appearance. What do you believe is the most difficult part for coaches in addressing the appearance matter? The tricky part about eating disorders is that we can't really, you know, pick someone out of a crowd to say, oh, she or he probably has an eating disorder. It's not as easy to see. So what do we do? Again, it goes back to talking about it because the more we talk about it, the more they feel they can talk about it. It's opening the doors for Throughout my years as a college runner, I think the change from being a senior in high school to a freshman in college can play into the occurrence of disordered eating. Do you think this is the case? A lot of people start having eating issues, you know, in big transition phases. So from middle school to high school or high school to college, like it was for me. I know specifically for my parents, I was living with my parents here and there throughout my eating disorders and they didn't even realize I had an eating disorder, which just goes to show that this is very tough to see, very tough to 
you know, understand if we don't have an idea of all the symptoms or at least a basic understanding. So it's not to say any coaches out there that have athletes with eating disorders are a bad coach. It's partly just our lack of knowledge. It's difficult to understand and it's not easy to see. When you were going through your experience, did your coaches notice any symptoms in the environment? My coach for college and in high school, they, they were great coaches. And I was still the one developing an eating disorder. In high school, we never talked about eating disorders. So when I was going through my experience, I thought eating disorders looked different than what I was dealing with. So that's why it's important to go through those symptoms. We're going to take a short break right here before we discuss how coaches can help in the world of injuries and eating disorders. So Rachel, I also think it's quite common for a girl to fall back into old habits when they are injured and can't exercise enough. Have you personally had any experience with this? Luckily enough, I've been injured and I have not been exercising for the past month. I have personally not been worried about exercise or my food intake at all. I didn't try to manipulate it. And that's the cool part about eating disorder recovery. You don't really think about those things or worry about those things. I did at one time, however, feel the same way this person did, and I talk about it more in my book Running in Silence. With my running and food intake, I felt like I could only really control my food well if I was also running, because running kind of gave me that high, and I just felt like my eating disorder was better when I was running, but when I was no longer exercising and not really running much due to an injury, I freaked out and my food intake went all over the place. I actually ended up binge eating. How do you think people suffering from an eating disorder can break out of this habit? A lot of people tell me, you know, I run to stay skinny or I work out so I don't get fat. And instead of using that kind of language, I think we should start seeing exercise as a way to, I use exercise because I feel healthy or I feel strong or I use exercise to help my depression. Things that are like helpful rather than I'm doing it to burn calories. We have to also keep in mind that when the body stops exercising, it doesn't mean it stops burning calories. Through my recent injury with the kneecap dislocation, I, like I said, I haven't worried about trying to exercise or anything. I've done a little bit of physical therapy, but I know that my body is always burning calories. Even, even if it's going to sit in bed all day, I burn like 1200 calories. So when I'm hungry, I'll eat food and I get full sooner just because I'm not burning so many calories. So really, if we're trying to exercise to stay skinny, we're just burning calories and then we're going to get hungrier to try to make up for those calories, if that makes sense. As we wrap up here, what is your main piece of advice for girls struggling? The biggest thing with all of this that helped me to recover was to figure out the why behind it. And I had a lot of help with that by seeing a therapist so I thought, you know, well, I want to lose weight, so that's why I'm trying to manipulate my food or I'm trying to exercise, but why are you trying to lose weight? Well, I want to run faster. Why do you want to run faster? Because it makes me feel good about myself. Why is that the only thing that makes you feel good about yourself? You know, it's about digging deeper to find, I guess, the why behind the eating disorder. 
Also, seeing a dietitian was especially helpful because if you are in an eating disorder, you're probably not eating properly. And a dietitian will help you find meals throughout the day to use uh, in a way that won't cause you to be restricting and then maybe binging later, which may cause you to want to exercise. So finding a dietitian was especially helpful because I know some people are saying like, oh, I don't want to recover from an eating disorder because that means I'll be fat or something. And fat isn't a bad thing, but I know people are worried about gaining weight. And if it's reassuring to anyone, once I recovered from my eating disorder, I fell back to my set point weight effortlessly. And I don't worry about food and exercise anymore. So there's hope and it gets so much better. Also, we want to think about something to find to replace the eating disorder, something that's going to make you even happier than the eating disorder. Because you know, there's a part of the eating disorder that makes you happy. You can't think about giving up the eating disorder, finding something to replace it. Also keep in mind there are consequences if you don't get the help you need sooner. So you could sit back and say, well, food and exercise and controlling all that makes me happy. Which at one point I thought that's the happiest I could be. Having the eating disorder was like my friend. I promise you there are so many other ways to be so much happier later and the consequences that come about from the eating disorder are just not worth it. You know, bone density issues, injuries, which prevent you from exercising overall, and then of course disordered eating behavior, and for me, I fall into binge eating, which was not a fun part of the eating disorder. There's a lot more resources on my website, runninginsilence.com. If you have more questions for me, just reach out, runninginsilence at gmail.com. Well, that's all for today's episode of Food for Thought. Thank you for listening and thank you, Rachel, for joining me today and sharing your experience and advice about collegiate eating disorders. Join me next week when we discuss some of the biggest dining hall myths for collegiate athletes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Thanks again and I'll see you next week.